live. We're doing it. Everybody. Um, Molly, I'm actually going to move you. So I'm looking at you. There we go. So uh, good afternoon, everybody. This is the first of four weeks of four weeks, four weeks. I do know how to count Molly's four, right? <laughs> of um, my friend Molly and I, we're going to spend some time over the next four weeks talking about how you can accelerate whatever you're up to through personality assessments, because between you and I, we have a whole encyclopedia of stuff that we do around cycle in around uh, assessments. So I think we should just get into it, Molly. What do you think? Let's do it. Let's go. All right. It. You want to uh, start by introducing yourself? Yeah. My name is Molly Grisham. Uh, I'm a former college soccer coach, but for about five years ago, I started my own business and I now work with teams and organizations, corporate groups all over the country on things like leadership development and team building and culture, all that growth stuff. So personality assessments certainly come into the work that I do. And I'm excited to talk about one of my favorite assessments today. What yeah. About you, yeah, yeah. Thanks, Molly. So I'm Jason Frizzell, and this is being broadcast on my page. So you probably know who I am if you're watching this. Maybe, maybe not. Um, I'm an executive and leadership coach, and I am also certified in a couple of assessments that we'll talk about in weeks two and weeks four, because it's the Molly show today. And um, I also do quite a bit of leadership work, teamwork, um, group dynamics, all that good stuff. I also have a podcast that everything we're going to do here for the next four weeks, we're going to release as a bonus series. I'm going to release them all at once as a, and give the audience what they really want is more, more listening to Molly and I talk. So Molly, since today is your day, what are we talking about today? Today, we are talking about the Myers-Briggs type indicator. I've heard of that. We're going to lead off with that one. I think we've got DISC and the Enneagram and Clifton Strengths on board. So if this isn't your go-to, hang in there. Hang in there <laughs> the next couple of weeks. We've got more coming. But yeah, the Myers-Briggs type indicators where we're going to dive into today. Yeah, sounds great. So um, I know it very well. I know my I know my personality type or I know my type indicator. I know you know yours, but not everybody does. So I think it would make sense to just give the audience just a very brief overview of what it is. Yeah. So it, it is a an assessment. And I use the word assessment really intentionally. Um, it's not a test. It's um, You'll get a report, but an assessment is different in the sense that you're putting in information and it's basically spitting out what you put in. To me, a test comes back and it tells you, did you do it right or did you do it wrong? But an assessment is saying, well, here's what you told us. Now, do you think this works for you? So it is, um, I guess one way you could think about it is kind of a psychological DNA of mm -hmm. how you best function in the world. And so we really have four different letters that will show up on your assessment. And there's 16 different possibilities. Um, but each of those letters represent a very specific thing. And it really just helps you understand what's your center of gravity? How do you best navigate the world? And I like this tool uh, because it helps you understand yourself in some really specific categories. But I also love it because it helps you understand that everybody else around you is wired a little bit differently. And oftentimes, for me, when I work with groups, they will think they have a conflict that they need to resolve when really they just find out we're just different. And we just work differently. And if we can learn to appreciate that and value our differences, then it really sets us up for success. So 
is the is the concept of Myers-Briggs that we're born with it, or is it something that we develop over time? Yeah, so the concept is the, the heart of it we are born with. Now, Got it. a lot of times when people will take the assessment in their 40s or 50s or 60s, kind of at a later stage in life, they'll say, well, this is different than what I reported when I was 20 or 25. And there's a couple of reasons why that happens. Um, one would be, what was your mindset? when you were taking the assessment. So maybe you took it when you were 25 and you thought you should be an accountant because everyone in your family was an accountant. And so you answered the questions very much like an accountant would because you knew that generations in your family were accountants. And it's not until you're 35 or 40 that you discover, I'm not an accountant. I'm not wired like that. I'm actually a, a big picture, artistic, creative person and once you allowed yourself to answer those questions that really do reflect you, then you see a different, a different assessment come back to you. But we would say it doesn't change over time, but certainly your mindset could change that. I, I also think there's a point later in life where, at least for me, I really have a sense of who I am. And it's yeah. almost, okay, I can relax a little bit and test the waters in some other things and develop some different skill sets. And, and so I think those, those, that assessment for me almost balances out a little bit more because I do know who I am, but I am interested in developing some different skills that might be reflective of a different type. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I always tell my clients around DISC and Clifton is that the results can be impacted by the context in which you take it. So for example, and those are a little bit more corporate. I think Myers-Briggs is generally known as a more holistic personality, but um, do you see where Myers-Briggs also, you know, and I'm thinking about this for me, like taking it, um, mine actually shifted by one letter, which, you know, we've talked about that. And when I took it the first time I was doing a specific role and now I have actually have a different career and it shifted a little bit. And so I see where it didn't like shift while either. And, you know, we'll share our, we'll both share our personality types here a little bit, but some things are never going to change. But for that, I think that actually was for me, like more self-actualization to what I actually wanted to be than what I thought I needed to be. So do you see some shifts there sometimes? Absolutely. Yeah. And again, it's kind of like that accounting example. If you feel like I have to be an accountant, how would an accountant answer this? This right. is what I have to do. I do this every day. I'm very structured and organized and everything fits in a box. And then you get to another stage in life where you're like, no, that's not, I was just trying to fit a job description. And, and maybe that's what I had to do at my job, but that's not actually who I was. And so we often tell people when they take this, just imagine you're on vacation you're at the beach and you're just answering from your best self versus yeah. work. And I'm trying to answer the right answer for work. So yeah, yeah, that mindset does make a, make a big difference. I love that Molly. I think everybody should take all their assessments. Maybe like, I don't know, maybe a beer or two or a glass of wine, right. a little more, you know, a little more relaxed and just be, do your, be yourself. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe that's the coaching is probably like, all right, everybody, we're going to do one shot and then you're going to go take this. It's a whole, it's a whole different style of personality assessments now. Yes, exactly. Before they, before they take Well, and you know, and like, I don't know about you, but when I drink, I generally speak my truth a little bit more, (laughs) whether people want to hear it or not. My, my filter has some holes when I have had a few drinks. So yes. Yeah. 
So Molly, let's take, um, if you'd be up for it, let's take a couple of minutes and go through each of the four. You mentioned that there's four different, um, I don't know what you call them. What what are they actually called in Myers-Briggs? The four different um, four different pairs of pairs. Yeah. Maybe maybe spend a couple minutes on what the four different pairs are. And then I've got some other questions for you that I think will be useful for the audience. Sure. So the first letter will either be E or I extroversion or introversion would be your two options there. And, and those two words can be confusing for people because a lot of times we associate those two words with, are you outgoing or are you shy? And that's actually inaccurate when we think about those two words. So with those two things, we're thinking about, are you focusing on your inner world or are you focusing on your outer world? So those of us that are introverts, that's me, we're focusing more on our inner world and extroverts are focusing more on the outer world. So another really helpful way to think about that is where do you get your energy from? Introverts, I get it from within which means I need a lot of downtime. I need alone time. I need to process because it's all inside of me. And if there's a lot of noise around me, I can't hear what's going on inside. Extroverts get their energy from the outside world, from other people. So that's an easy way to think about that first pair. Where do you get your energy from? And that may on the surface sound like that's not a big deal, but it actually, when you think about your working environment directly impacts the quality of the work you do. So I was doing a Myers-Briggs assessment one time with a group of probably 40 or 45 corporate adults, people in their 40s, 50s, and 60s. There was a woman sitting in the front row and we had just gone over introversion and extroversion and we were kind of moving on and we got ready for our lunch break. And she said, I I have a question before we go. She's like, you're telling me I'm an introvert. I said, well, Actually, I'm not. You put the information in and it came back and it said that you have a preference for introversion. And there's a difference there between I'm an introvert and I have a preference towards introversion. And she said, okay, okay, but but this thing is telling me that I prefer introversion. I said, okay, that's fair. And she's like, but every year on my uh, performance review, the thing I get dinged on is I need to be more social in the office. I was like, oh, wow. And she's like, are you telling me there's nothing wrong with me? Yeah. yeah. And I said, yeah, there's nothing wrong with you. And now you have kind of a, a way to have a conversation with your whoever's filling out this performance review to say, I can't go to a happy hour every Thursday and because I'm exhausted on Friday, like I can't be around people all the time. I can't have lunch with the whole crew. I can't spend all of my breaks with the whole crew, I've got to go recharge. And it just watching her process that was like all this, all these years I've thought something was wrong with me. Like there was a social stigma for her that, well, that woman is too shy and she's withdrawn and she's distant, but really she just needed to recharge. I I remember another event I did, uh, it had been a really intense morning with a group of teachers and the event coordinators had set up lunch and kind of this big main gathering hall. And it was supposed to be a really good time for everybody to connect and energize. But I could sense from the introverts in the room, myself included, that they were on empty and we still had a whole afternoon together. Yeah. And I remember saying to the group, 
look, I know we're supposed to all go in that big room and have lunch together, but if you need to go for a walk and eat your lunch, or if you need to go sit in the rockers out on that porch over there, do that. Or if you need to go sit in your car, it's, it's okay. You're just recharging. We talked about introversion and extroversion a little bit. And one of the women came up to me after lunch with tears in her eyes. And she said, you have no idea how badly I just needed to go eat lunch in my car by myself. Yeah. Like I, I get it. When you're on empty, it's such a helpless feeling as an introvert of like, how do I recharge and be with people? Like we have to go away. Extroverts, it's the opposite. They recharge by getting together with others. I'll give you one more example. I have an event, a Myers-Briggs event that I do annually uh, with a large organization that brings in new people every year. So I get the first year people and we do a full day Myers-Briggs event. And there's, we're at a hotel and there's a restaurant down there that we usually all eat at for lunch. And I always tell them, okay, look, you all seem like wonderful people and we're about to go break for, for lunch, but you have sucked the life out of me for the last three and a half hours. And of course they all laugh just like you're doing. Uh, but I say, look, I'm going to go sit in the corner at that restaurant with my headphones on with a book by myself. And half of you are thinking, yes, I want to do the same thing as Molly. That sounds awesome. And half of you are really feeling bad for me right now. And you see the heads nodding. And, yeah. and of course, you walk into the restaurant and there's a large table for 20 and all of the extroverts are just right there because that's how they recharge. And it's a fun day for me every year to look around and I see all of us who prefer introversion sitting alone with our headphones on, with our books out. And then there's this one table where those who prefer extroversion have all gravitated together. Yeah, so for yeah. me, th those just knowing those two things can be so powerful because if, yeah, yeah. if you know that I prefer introversion and I know you prefer extroversion, we can, we can navigate that space together. You're probably going to think, gosh, I've spent eight hours with Molly. She's, she probably needs to recharge. I'm going to, I'm going to let her have her space. Or I can say, we just sat through something really cool and Jason probably wants to talk, 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 talk about it. Cause he's so excited about what he just learned. And, and we work that out. There's a give and a take there, but when we don't even know that about each other, it really limits our growth. And it, you know, as we talk about like accelerating, I know for me to be at my best as someone who prefers introversion, I have to carve out time and space for myself. Oh. I would do a disservice if you and I were doing an event together for like three days, if I booked another event right before it for three days, because by the time I got to your event, I would be fried. I would have nothing left to give. But when I can say like, oh, I've got a big event coming up. I'm going to make sure I block off a day, recharge, be alone, lots of quiet time. Then I set myself up for success with you. Yeah. Nice, Molly. Okay. Um, so that's the E and the I, extroversion, introversion. Yep, what do you got next for us? First letter you're going to see. So the next pairing you're going to see is S, which stands for sensing, and N, which stands for intuition. And I realize intuition actually starts with an I, but that gets really confusing with introversion. So we go. So for these two pairings, it's more about how do you take in information? So we all take in information a little bit differently. So those who prefer sensing tend to take in factual sense. It's just, that's the data. That's the information. Those who prefer intuition tend to attach meaning and ideas 
to that information. It's much more of a big picture perspective. So I'll give you an example that we use a lot of times when I do, when I take groups through this process, we have an, uh, an image that Myers-Briggs has provided us that is super artistic, lots of, lots of stuff going on on this image. And we'll, at this point in our, in our work, we'll have those who prefer sensing on one side of the room and those who prefer introversion on the other, put this image up on the screen. And I say, I just want you to look at it for just 30 seconds. Don't say anything. Just look at it. Everybody's looking at it. I said, okay, now you're going to debrief in your groups. What did you see in that image? And those who prefer sensing will come back and list, boom, 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 details. We yeah, saw a bowling ball. We saw uh, a bolt of lightning. We saw the color blue. And uh, we saw a unicorn. It's it, very, very detailed. Those who prefer intuition have a story and meaning behind it. So it's the lightning bolt came through and disrupted the images on the screen and scattered them into different directions. Now the blue coming through, that's a symbol of life that is coming back to, I mean, it is a story that they will tell. Yeah. Whereas those who prefer sensing say it's just a lightning bolt and bowling ball and some blue. Yeah. But, but those who prefer intuition, there is meaning attached to what they're seeing. So when we think about our occupations, those who prefer sensing are often drawn to jobs that are accounting, insurance, mathematics. There's no real story behind these details. These are just the facts. Those who prefer intuition fall into photography and design, and there's a story behind what they're doing. So Mm -hmm. that one for me is often harder to identify if I just hang out with somebody for a day because I can't see how you're taking in information. When it comes to introversion and extroversion, I can see how you're showing up in the world. So if I'm if I'm hanging out with somebody, it takes me a little more time to understand sensing and intuition. Gotcha. Okay. So we've got E I S and N. Mm-hmm. What's the third pair? Third pair is T and F, thinking and feeling. So this one is really thinking about when you make decisions, are you making them from a thinking process, logical, rational, let's look at the data process, or more of a feeling process? How will my decision impact others? How will my decision impact myself? This pair, I think the thing that's really important to talk about is a little bit like introversion and extroversion, it doesn't mean you're a thinker or you're a feeler. Right. Just what are you pulling from? Do do your decisions go to what do I think or my decisions go to what do I feel? And so this is probably the pair that causes the most tension when when we hear people say like, oh, well, she's a thinker. She doesn't care about anybody else's feelings. She doesn't even consider our feelings. I am a thinker, but I actually feel things deeply, but I'm going to make decisions based on my thought process versus those who prefer feeling are, are, that's where they lead from. They're going to make their decisions based on feelings uh, and the feelings for others and how their decisions impact others. And I think that's, that's a fairly easy pair to pick up on, uh, particularly in conversation. If you and I are talking and I keep hearing you say, well, I feel this and I feel that and I feel like we should, 
And if you hang out with me long enough, you're going to hear me say, I think this, I was thinking about that. I think we should do that. So that's not too difficult of a pair to, to understand as well. And last, those two options are J and P judging and perceiving. So this is all about how we organize or navigate the world around us. So people who prefer judging tend to be a little more linear, a little more sequential. I do A, I do B, I do C, I do D, and then I get here. People who prefer perceiving tend to want to explore all the options before they get to the final place. And so often when I'm with a group, we'll go up to a whiteboard and draw a starting point and a finishing point. And I'll say those who prefer judging, it's a pretty straight line. We have a start, we have a finish here. Those who prefer perceiving, same starting point, same finishing point, but it's all, the line goes everywhere before they get to that finishing point. They will get there, but they're going to explore all the possibilities first. And so this pair can be a real tension in the workplace if you don't understand how people are navigating and organizing the outside world. So if you and I are working on a project together and I'm a, I prefer judging, I'm very like, Week one, we're going to get this done. Week two, week three. And if you prefer perceiving, our timelines for how we navigate things might be really different. And so that could create tension. I could say like, I'm doing all the work. I've done A, B, C, and D, and Jason has done nothing. Well, actually, you've explored a lot of options and you will get there, but your time frame is a little bit different than mine. And so figuring out how do we navigate that? If you and I were working on a project together, I might say something like, I'm going to take the first three steps and knock those out, and I'm going to do it very logically, and then I'm going to hand that off to you, and I'll let you do what you want, and then we circle back when you're at that end point. But this, I see a lot of tension around. Um, yeah. People might say, uh, Molly's trying to micromanage this. She has her way, and it's the only way, and I can't work with her. And I might say about someone else who prefers perceiving Uh, They're lazy. They put things off to the last minute. They don't respect me and they don't respect my process. Um, So there can be real tension if you don't understand that and don't communicate that as well. Yeah. Okay. So we've got, we've got our pairs. We've got our 16 types. Mm -hmm. Um, I want us to each share what we are because we both know what we are. But before we do that, one of the things I've noticed that you see a lot. And I don't know if this is a Myers-Briggs specific thing, or if this is something people have put on top of it is they create labels for each of the 16 personality types, like the warrior, the champion, like all these things is, is that something that people have taken and put on top of Myers-Briggs? Yes. Got it. Okay. So one of the things that's interesting to me when we think about the 16 types, um, and I think this is why we we, and I say we like in our Myers-Briggs training, try to stay away from those descriptors is I think Myers-Briggs gets a bad rap that we're trying to put you in a box because oftentimes when we draw those 16 types, we have 16 boxes and people say, I don't want to be put in a box. Right. But the reality is we have elements of all of those things in us. Of course. We just have a home base. We have one that feels like this is me at my best. Wow. If I could do this all the time, 
I'd be in really, really great shape. So one of the ways I like to talk about it is imagine you have a a really expensive house with 16 different rooms in it. You might feel like, yeah, man, that guest room is awesome. I just want to hang out in the guest room all the time where somebody else is saying the kitchen is unbelievable. And somebody else is like that garage. Awesome. That's where I want to be. And so when we think about these 16 types, we can think about them as 16 different rooms in a house. You have access to all the rooms. You can come and go and move. There's fluidity to it. But there's one that feels like this is my room. This is the space that I want to be in. Yeah. And this is going to be a theme for the rest of this series for the next four weeks is um, there's there's no good or bad in any of these assessments. And we all have access to all these things. It's a thing that we usually find the easiest, which also makes it the most fun for us. And it's where we perform at our best in whatever we're doing. Absolutely. So Molly, what's your, what's your Myers-Briggs? My Myers-Briggs is I-N-T-J. So introversion, intuition, thinking, judging. So for me, um, kind of the way that shows up in the world is I am someone who prefers introversion. So I'm a little bit more of a fly on the wall. I like to kind of take it all in, process things. Um, Intuition for me shows up in, I'm a dreamer. I'm big picture. I'm what could we create? I am heavily like a thought process. That's my, any big decision I have to make, it's going to be logical, rational thinking. And then I'm pretty orderly, pretty sequential in how I navigate the world. But I would say the What's interesting is how you're thinking and feeling. So for me, introverted thinker means I'm an internal processor. So there are a lot of times where someone will say, hey, Molly, what do you think about this? And I say, I'll get back to you tomorrow because I need to go do my internal processing. Whereas an extroverted thinker is going to talk their way to the answer in that moment. So they might talk for 20 minutes and then at the 20th minute, they're like, and that's what I was trying to get to. It happens externally. You're just listening to them talk through it. For introverted thinkers, we are doing that work internally. Yeah. Okay. Can I share mine? Yes, please do. I am an E. Shocking. I'm actually, uh, for those listening, I'm 100% E, which is quite rare, I think, to be 100% anything in Myers-Briggs. Like, when you look at their, if anybody uh, has taken Myers-Briggs or wants to, you can talk about that, but um, it gives you like five metrics for each of these letters. Mine is like, chunk, 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 like all the way across for E. So I'm an E. I used to be an S and I've slightly moved into the N. So I actually, I'm quite flexible in that. And that, um, that uh, I see elements of both. So when I, I, I never, we never talked about that story of like, I put a picture up. I actually resonate with both of those that I would, oh, like, here's the details and I see it, but I also can see how this relates and creates a bigger story. Um, I am an F, so I am a very much a gut person. Uh, I'm not much of a thinker in terms of, I don't, I don't need a ton of information to make decisions. And then I'm pretty highly a J. Um, I'm quite organized. I like things to go in a specific manner. You know, I'm very on time, like those sort of things. So I am an E and FJ. And you're an INTJ. So I don't know if you know this off the top of your head, but for your personality type for um, 
a female, like what, wh- how, how common is your style for a, a female? Cause I know it also differs by sexuality, like the, the sex that you are as well, doesn't it? Yeah. So INTJs are a small percent. If, if we were to mm-hmm. rank them out, I, I feel like the last stat I saw was about 4% of the population and a smaller percentage of that were females. Um, but I haven't, I haven't seen updated stats in a couple of years. So I would need, mm-hmm. I would need to think about that, Jason. This is a perfect. Yeah. If you can think about that, I'm just going to go with my gut on what that is. <laughs> um, so for me, I read this uh, yesterday that E E N F J for men is actually quite rare. It's about 2% of the male population or those who identify as male. And I was reading it's because the naturally men have more of a pull towards the problem solving. And so the S and the T, and I also understand that the, um, uh, the J and the N can be quite, uh, can be a little bit of a, a normally be attention for specifically more for men, the intuitive, but also very organized. Is that, is that your understanding as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I do think it's interesting. Some of the societal pressures to, to fit in a particular box. Like, totally, totally. You know, I think if we were going to stereotype, I think women would feel more pressure to fit the feeler category. No, I, I, for sure, for sure. Men would feel more pressure to fit the thinker category. So when you don't fit that, that norm, that stereotype, it does feel like, like, is this, did I answer this correctly? <laughs> is, am I doing this the right way? When really, again, it's just a reflection of who we are. Yeah. For, for those listening, a, a fun little game you can do is uh, like Google, like famous people with my personality type. And there's a, there's a list of all 16. And uh, I find it funny. Cause I'm like, how do you actually know that? It's not like they have like a database of, and there'll be like people from like, it'll be like Jesus Christ, Genghis Khan. I'm like, Seems like you may not have quite enough information to land on that. Like maybe, but how would you know if Genghis Khan was an extrovert or not? <laughs> yes. It's the, um, uh, before we move along, who's the most famous person, one of the most famous people on your list that of your personality type that you're aware of? I have not looked at that list in a while. I feel like there were a lot of scientists, a lot of inventors. Yeah. But I would need to go back and look at that list. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I was um, there was two on the list of ENFJs that I was very happy with, Matthew McConaughey, and I'm like, yep, I'll take that. And then uh, Barack Obama, and I'm like, yeah, I'll take that too. Those are those are two people that I'm I'm glad to be in the same personality type company with them. Whether or not it's true, I have no idea. Take it, just take it. I'll dig it. So Molly, I have a few questions for you now that we've kind of laid the groundwork for the audience. Um, Myers-Briggs is actually not used in hiring processes is the best. I don't know if that's a best practice or an ethical guideline, but like, why not? Why isn't this something that is, if I was hiring for my company that I would not want to use or that I shouldn't be using? So when I did my training for Myers-Briggs, which was a four and a half day process. We took tests at the end of every day to be able to advance to the next pretty intense process. The one thing we were told was the only reason we will pull your certification is if you use this in the hiring process. And their thought process was there is, there are too many other factors to take into account when hiring other than 
we think we need an INTJ. Things like what's their education? What's their life experience? What, what are their strengths and weaknesses? Because your personality type doesn't reflect what your skill set is or what your education is. And so if we were to use Myers-Briggs and simply say, we've got to have an INTJ for this job, we might actually lose our best candidates. Yeah. And, and so it, it really, I, I, th- I think I get the sense from Myers-Briggs. It's, it's purely an ethical issue and it's limiting yeah. the tool in many ways. It shouldn't be used as a tool to keep people out of a company. It should be used as a tool to understand how do we best work with the people who are already here. Mm-hmm. So there, there are some great tools that can be used in the hiring process. This just wasn't designed for that. This was designed for your self-reflection and to understand, okay, if we're going to work together, how do we work together versus should we even let you in the door? There's just too many other factors that yeah. take into account. Gotcha. Um, what about, um, so, you know, the theme of these next four, four sessions is really around acceleration. Mm-hmm. So you're working with a team. You said you you either recently did or you're working on one with 45 people. They all get their results. You're talking about it. And I'm one of those people. I'm one of the extroverts. So I'm like in the middle of the pack because I like to be around all the people. I don't like to be in front. I don't like to be in the back. I like to be in the middle. Um, and I say to you, hey, Molly, like this is all cool information. How does this make me better at my job? What's the, what, what would you have me take a look at? Yeah, so... One would be how do you set yourself up for success? So for example, let's say you discover for the first time in your life that you prefer introversion, but you are currently working in an open work environment. Um, just There's just desks everywhere. Brutal. That's got to be brutal for an introvert. Oh, it's it will suck the soul out of you, right? Oh. But if you knew there's this whole row of offices that no one uses, and I could actually use one. Would that make me better? Huh. Or flip it around, you discover extroversion. I no wonder I I get my best work done after I've had a 10-minute break and have chatted with someone. Okay, so then how do you build that into your day? Or maybe you realize I've got the corner office right now, which is beautiful and has windows, but I'm 40 feet away from another human. I would actually do better in that open workspace, hanging out around people. So uh, understanding how do you structure your space? How do you structure your day in a way that allows you to perform at your highest level? And some of those simple shifts can be really, really powerful. I, I think the other kind of pair of letters that I would jump to right away is, is judging and perceiving, particularly if you're in an environment where you're doing a lot of projects on a team with other people you may realize this is not the group for me. <laughs> like my, the way I, get things, I, yeah, right. The way I get things done doesn't work here. Um, and I may need to be on a different team that have a different working style, or we may need to break up a project in a way that reflects each of our working styles. So to me, it's, it's understanding how do you set yourself up for success? If, if Myers-Briggs help you helps you understand yourself at your best, how do you create a space that allows you to function at your best every day? It's like, again, that analogy of being in the house. How do you stay in that room? If that's your best room, how do you stay in that room? The other side of that is then having that sense of awareness of the other people around you. Because 
my sense is so much unresolved workplace conflict that slows us all down. But oftentimes it's not that you and I hate each other and we need a mediator. HR needs to bring in a mediator to help us figure out how to get along. It's that we are wired so differently. And there's this tension point of I'm not getting to be in my room that allows me to be at my best. And you're not allowed to be in your room that allows you to be at your best. We're both trying to function in space that doesn't meet either of our needs. And so when I can start to understand how to set you up for success and you understand how to set me up for success and we're both doing that for each other, well, then the magic starts to happen. And and we really can take our careers, take our projects, take our work to levels we haven't been to before. Nice. Um, You're quite introverted on the Myers-Briggs and I'm really talked about I'm all the way extroverted. I think that's the one that people most understand uh, sometimes, but they, people are oh, like, Oh, he's really outgoing or really like, and it, that's not all that it means. Um, obviously as you covered this pro tip for me and what, um, so you and I are in a space together, uh, an in-person space. And I really want to engage with you in some way. I want to talk to you about something. I'm really excited about something and you're tapped out. What can I communicate or how can, how do you see like extroverts and introverts? How can we work together to not have it feel personal? And just, and like what, and maybe that, maybe you can speak from experience. What's the thing you just say to people? Like if you're tapped out, I know you said for the, the lunch, like what if we're on a project together at work and I'm like, Hey, we really need to have this meeting. And you know that I'm going to come in with my hundred percent extroversion energy. And you're like, dude, it's four 30. I'm tapped out. How do, how do extroverts and introverts work better together? Like how can we communicate more effectively? Right. So in that scenario, I think us having a conversation, thinking about when, when in terms of the time of day, should we have that meeting? Yeah. So I might be able to say like, okay, I know Jason's going to come. He's going to have it. He's going to bring the energy and it's going to be a lot. It's going to be draining for me. It's going to be life-giving for him. It's going to be a little draining for me. So maybe 4.30 is not good because I'm already on empty and I'm not going to be able to contribute. Maybe 9 a.m. is also not good because I know at noon I have a critical meeting. And so for us to just be able to have a conversation, like if you come to me and say like, Molly, I'm going to need you to be engaged in this meeting. I know you have a lot to offer. I'm going to need your thoughts on this. Can we look at your schedule and see like, when during that day would be best for you. The other thing that would be really helpful is if you know I'm an introverted thinker and you want me to contribute in a meeting, tell me what you need to contribute ahead of time. Oh, that's so, key. So my brain's yeah. because it would be very easy for you to walk in with all this energy and you're like, and Molly, what do you think? And when I say like, yeah, give me a couple of days, I'll get back to you. Oh, that's like a knife in your chest. Like she does yep. want to be here. She's not contributing when literally I don't have the words yet. I have to go home and think about it. But if you tell me that ahead of time, like these are the three key points. Can you let your brain spin on this? Then I can walk into that meeting ready to share my thoughts because I've already done that. And so again, a, a, a place that this shows up as tension in the workplace is a lot of times, those who are external processors get rewarded for processing externally in a meeting. Like those five yeah. people 
we're so engaged. I think we, we should promote them. Look at the way they engage. Yeah. Those other five people, they're just not really participating. So let's keep them where they're at. When really it's happening internally for some of those people. And then I think the other thing I would say is on this introversion and extroversion piece is if you know that there are five people in the room who prefer introversion, you can be intentional intentional about inviting them into the conversation. Because mm-hmm. naturally, if you say, anybody got any thoughts? Well, those who prefer extroversion are like, all right, let me, yeah, it could be 20 minutes of nothing. You're like, how long do I got? Let's see. <laughs> right. Can I have the microphone? Let me tell you my thoughts. But if you can, if you can say like, I'm going to ask this question in a few minutes, I know some of you might want to think about it and then start to look for ways to say, I know we've heard from these five, Molly, do you have any thoughts that you would like? Yeah. I, one of the things, those who prefer introversion into the conversation. Yeah. One of the things that I heard in a training said this, um, somebody said this in a training is, um, the best way to get an introvert to never talk is to tell them to talk more. Like, don't give you, but just be like, hey, Molly, you need to talk more. That's the way to like shut down an introvert. Shut it down. Yeah, I'm, I'm out. You're like, power down, blank look on the face. It'll be like an episode of The Office where you just like, you'll be Stanley from The Office just sitting there like this. Like, when can this thing be over? Right. Um, this has been an awesome conversation. I, I, I personally learned a lot. I really appreciate it. I want to, start to wrap us up for, t- for just today because we got three more of these, but I want to see if there's anything else that's popped up for you, anything you want to share with the audience around Myers-Briggs that they can take away, maybe maybe even like an action item or something that people can go and whether they've taken it, if, you know, if people want to take it, where they could take it at, you know, there, and I, I think, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but Myers-Briggs is not open source. So the official Myers-Briggs type assessment is something you want to take from Myers-Briggs. Like some other of these assessments, there's like these I call them like bastardized versions. You really want to take the MBTI that when you Google, it'll, 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 it'll be an official site, right? Yeah. There's only one organization that provides Myers-Briggs and that's the Myers-Briggs company. And you have to go through a certified facilitator to take that assessment. I am a certified facilitator. And so if people are interested in that on my website, if they go to the store uh, and then click on personality assessments. They can order a personality assessment through me. They'll get a link to the Myers-Briggs assessment where they can take all of that. They'll get a 17-page report with more information, as you know, than, uh, than you can digest in one sitting and then an hour-long phone call with me to, to process that. Um, I currently have 10 packages on the website that are all on sale. So if people are looking for a discounted rate, I'm going to do that this summer because I just really enjoy talking about personality assessments. So if people yeah. are interested in that, they can do that uh, on my website, mollygrisham.com. You can go to the store and that'll take you there. But you do have to work through a certified facilitator. Um, and then it, we are required to like talk you through the process. We can't just send you the assessment. and let you go. Know. We're going to uh, yeah. talk through that and make sure make sure you understand it. But you're right. It is one of very few assessments that you can't just get kind of a free version to take. You, you do have to take the. Yeah. The yeah. Clifton, Clifton Strengths is the same way. It only comes from Gallup and that's it. Um, what I'll be talking about next week at DISC is the exact opposite. It's actually open source. It's a methodology and then companies build their own version of it on top of it. Yeah. Um, all right. Introvert. Yes. You're probably a little tired. 
Just You've been talking a lot. I'm being very sure. stereotypical. I, you're probably not very tired. I am full of energy because I'm spending time with you and like chatting it up. Um, any any parting thoughts for the audience before we wrap up for, for today? Yeah, I, I mean, I would encourage people to just consider trying some of these assessments and, and maybe setting aside their stereotypes or limiting beliefs that they have about them. Because the more we know about ourselves, the better we can navigate the world that's in front of us. And we set ourselves up for success when we have that knowledge about ourselves. And so imagine being able to sit down in a difficult situation and say, here's exactly what I need to be at my best. Because at the end of the day, we want to work with people who are at their best. And so maybe you're not happy with your office space, but to be able to go to your supervisor and say, look, I'm only performing at 70%. You want me to hundred percent? Here's how I can, here's how I can be better. I need a different office. I need a different schedule. I need some different structure because I will be able to be at my best. And the way we get that is doing these assessments and doing, as you know, the work on ourselves to be the best version of ourselves. Yeah. It's all about the acceleration. Well, thank you very much, Molly. Well, we'll see everybody back here next Wednesday at the same time, 2 p.m. Eastern. And we're going to wrap this up for today and come off of uh, live on Facebook. Thanks, everybody, for joining. This will be recorded. This will also be released as a podcast episode on my podcast very soon. Thank you very much, Molly. And let's call it for today. 